0: So, why I want to pray for us is because, I, and I cannot state this strongly enough. Um, I think if we have ears to hear, like spiritually speaking, if we have an open heart, ears to hear, a mind to receive, um, I'm going to be recapping. So, so because it's, it's kind of the one year mark, I'm wanting to share a little bit of vision, but, but really it's just reminding us. So, it's a revision. But I, I, I am so convinced to my core that if we catch and apply this stuff that many of you know, But it's not knowledge that's the issue for most of us. If we catch it, if we apply it, I am truly convinced that it will change your life. Truly convinced. But we have to have ears to hear, we have to have hearts to receive. I think that what Racer shared a few moments ago was actually a prophetic word. I think, I think for 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 many people, if there's an openness, if there's again, if there's a if there's a hunger, if there's an if there's a if, if there are ears to hear. Guys, I think God is wanting to speak to us, but, but, but even but even more than that, God wants to not just speak to us, but actually help us do it. He gives us the, the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. I think it's in Philippians 2, 11. Not only the desire, but also the power to actually do it. Not just to be hearers, but to be doers. Yeah, amen. So Father, please, would you help us to be, to be present, to be humble, to be hungry. Lord, m- maybe we don't even know it, but, but in some cases, there, there's an ache there's a, there's a yearning and a hunger in us that maybe we're so used to filling with counterfeit meals that are, that are over-promising and under-delivering in terms of satisfying, in terms of bringing love and joy and peace. God, help us to recognize even in the next few moments where, where there's an ache, where there's a yearning. And help us to, to see your way, to see your invitation, and God, that we would trust you to help us to apply it one day at a time, one step at a time, one attempt at a time, one failure at a time when we mess up and we try again and we get back up again. God, that we would persevere. Even, even if we look at that scripture that Rachel just read in Hebrews 12, verse 1, that we would persevere, yeah. that we would keep trying to strip off those things that are weighing us down, that any sin that's, that's tripping us up, that we would run the race that you have marked out for us with perseverance. In Jesus' name I pray, and everyone said, amen. Amen. You can take your seats. For those of you that are new to church and or just stubborn, and you have refused to learn our vision statement, it is the following. We are here to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. It is up on our cafe wall from time to time. You'll even see it up on the screens behind us. That's the first part. We're here to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. Then it goes, Next, and this is an important word, together, yeah. together, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. In fact, so much of what I'm talking about comes even down to that passage on the wall over there, which is a paraphrase, and then we've still just summarized, like, like, like we've, we've cut out some wording from the paraphrased version of what many Christians consider to be the Great Commission one of Jesus' final encouragements or statements at the end of the book of Matthew. But, but Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrased, uh, paraphrased it in this way, but, but that, is, that is the goal, is to go out and train everyone in the way. Of, it's a way. We're not just inviting people to knowledge. We're not just inviting people to agree to something. There is actually a way of life that leads to life. And instruct them in the practice of all of commodity. Practices make a difference. The things we do, do something to us. And so when we talk about ordering our lives around three goals, it's because these goals will lead us down the way, which will lead to life. Some of you might remember the quote from, again, uh, Eugene Peterson, who was also a pastor in America for over 50 years. And he said that, that, because he was basing this on the passage where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he said that in 50, over 50 years of, of Pastoring in an American context, he has found that people consistently want Jesus the truth and Jesus the life, just not Jesus the way. And he argues that it's only the Jesus truth wedded to the Jesus way that will lead to the Jesus life. Okay, in case you're not convinced, I would argue that the Satan and the forces of darkness probably know more of the Bible than what you and I do. They are more convinced of who Jesus is than what you and I are. They they, under, they would know the gospel more than we would. They would understand the significance of the of his crucifixion and resurrection. More. In other words, it's not knowledge. It's not just Jesus the truth. So I get the like, no, no. We, it's Jesus the truth, and and we and we we wed that. We we marry that to Jesus the way, and this actually leads to the Jesus life. And I do believe that it is life. It is life. That actually brings joy, it brings hope, it brings peace, it brings patience, it brings kindness, it brings gentleness, whether or not circumstances are wonderful or horrific. And I'm not talking about hype, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about you know, nothing ever touches you and you're never affected by anything. No, no, I'm saying, I'm saying in the pain, in the grief, in the mystery, in the joy, in the high and the low, there's a love, there's a joy, there's a peace, there's a patience and a kindness and a gentleness and a self control. So I want to make it abundantly clear. If you want to know what we are about, what we want for you, and to some extent from you, it is to order your life, to order my life around these three goals of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did, or to put it another way, doing what Jesus would do if he were you. Now, I can't help mentioning these three goals without emphasizing that the order really, really, really matters. I've I've been around church and Christians for most of my life, and I can tell you that that there are lots of people that have these elements, but in the wrong order, and the wrong order can actually lead us away from life. It can lead us to just legalism or religiosity, and, and you can be doing the right things and ticking the right boxes, but you feel empty inside. You, you, you may have been a Christian for 20 years, but feel like nothing significant has changed because, because we're trying to do what Jesus did in the hope that maybe that'll help me become like him. But a lot of the time, we're just trying to look like him, not actually become like him. And, we, and, we, and it's easier to look like him on a Sunday in a church service than what it is to look like him when you leave here and you get stuck in traffic, or, you, or someone mistreats you this afternoon, or you, or you're, or you receive terrible service somewhere you know, tomorrow, or, you're, or you are uh, betrayed, gossiped about, mistreated, uh, exploited at work tomorrow. It's a lot easier to, to look like him here than to actually become like him. So, so us just trying to do what Jesus did, there's this hope that we'll then become like him, and then maybe, maybe, maybe I will get to be with him. And that is a terrible way to live. I'm saying that from experience. I've tried to do the right things in the hope that it will get to these other parts. The order matters. It starts with relationship. It starts with positioning ourselves to, to actually being loved by Him. Not just believing that we're forgiven, but actually accepting His forgiveness. I remember, I remember resting for years in my, in my early 20s over this knowledge that I'm forgiven, but, but I couldn't get over the shame of some of the stuff that I just, I, I knew it in my head, but I didn't experience it. I, I could tell you about grace. I could preach about grace. I read books on grace. We named our daughter Taylor Grace. Our adoptive daughter, whose middle name is Nema, turned out to mean grace in Swahili. Like, I can, I can tell you all about it. But I had to order my life in order to experience it. Yeah. To actually experience that peace-filling, reassuring, Jason. Jason, of course you're forgiven. You are loved. You're wanted. You see. The order matters. We want to be with Jesus. Yeah. If you are familiar with the, the beginning of John's Gospel, you, you read the story of of how John's disciples uh, w- were pointed to Jesus. So John points to them and says, you know, this is the Lamb of God. And then, and then they go to him and they say, where are you staying? That, that word staying, in fact, I think we might even have it up on the screen. Sorry, guys. John 1, verse 38. Jesus looked around, saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, He said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Now, this is what I want you to pay attention to. Them asking him, where are you staying? Them having went with him and having remained with him is ultimately all the same word. It means, it comes from the word, or the Greek word, meno, which which is used interchangeably in the English language. Basically, it is like, where are you staying? Where is your home? So for them to have stayed with him, they made their home with him, this is at the very beginning of them discovering Jesus. Then, at the end of their time with Jesus, on the last night, just before Jesus is arrested, that same word is used repeatedly. Some of you are familiar with John 15, reading from verse four. Remain in me. So that's meno in me, and I will meno in you. I will... I'll be at at home with me and I'll be at home with you. Where I am, you will be. Another way of putting that is being. Where you are, I want to be. I wanna be at home with you. If you know the older English translations, it uses the word abide, abide in him and he'll abide in you. That comes from the word abode, which means home. So when we talk about being with Jesus, we're talking about making our home in him and allowing him to make his home in us. This is how important it is. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and it cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. You can fake fruit, but you can't have fruit formed. Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I would add the word of significance. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burn. But if you remain in me, so make your home in me, me make my home in you, if you'll be with me and allow me to be with you, and have my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it'll be granted. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus is going to become our genie, and we can just, you know, have three wishes, and he'll give us, no, no. What he says is if we are making our home in him, if we we are being with him and allowing him to be with us, our desires will be his desires, so of course he's going to give us what we want, because what we want is what he wants. So we can be confident, we can be secure in asking for what's on our hearts because the more we are with Him, the more our hearts are going to be aligned with His. But if you remain in me, my words remain in you, can ask whatever, for anything you want, and it'll be granted. When you produce much fruit, I don't want you to miss this, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I feel like, I feel like everything from be, become, do is in this passage. And it balances us out, because, because just like people can go to the one extreme of, I better do, I better do, I better do, I better perform, I better produce, I better be impressive, I better tick boxes, and that is an unhealthy, um, one-dimensional extreme that can lead to death, not life. In the same way, if we think that, that Jesus is my boyfriend, and I just get to cuddle and, and, and be, be warm and fuzzy, and I just, I just need to be with him, and nothing else matters, that's also and unhealthy exaggeration it 's a one dimensional exaggeration being with him, growing in a relationship with him will lead to us producing fruit yes. it'll lead, and Jesus said it brings my father great glory when you produce fruit, so fruit matters fruit matters the pendulum tends to swing in churches between you know uh, legalism and just license to just do whatever you want and, and it's no no it's the, we we live in these tensions of We are growing in relationship. We're allowing him to form fruit in us, and we will want to and be able to bear real fruit, lasting fruit, and it brings glory to the Father. So fruit does matter, but being with him first matters more because the being will lead to the becoming and the doing. Verse nine, I have loved you as the the Father has loved me. Remain in me. When you obey my commandments, When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey the Father's commandments and remain in His love. I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So I think it's interesting that that the way that leads to life actually brings joy. There there are a lot of people that do the right things, tick the right boxes, and they're horribly unattractive, right? Right? Like, 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 like they, they can be doing the right things, but, but there's a but there's a there's almost like an aggression behind it. There's a, there's an anger behind it. There's a lifelessness behind it. I I should have told this story before. I can remember. I can remember five years into full time ministry, having this thought. God, I, I don't think it's an accident. I think you called me. But I don't have the language to, to exactly describe it, but, but basically I said, but I know that the way I'm living, the fruit that is in my life, I could never say to somebody right now, I'm in the ministry, full time, five years, I could never say to someone, come to Jesus and be like me right now. Because I was doing the right things. I was doing exactly what Raissa mentioned earlier. I was working hard, seven days a week, anxious, stressed out, trying to, trying to perform and produce, and there was no life. Not on a personal level, there wasn't that joy. Jesus is saying that if we, if we order our lives correctly, there will be joy that actually overflows. Yeah. So that is, that, is a, that is one of the gauges for us to measure. Don't feel discouraged if, you, if that's not your story right now. I'm saying maybe that's just a question to say, okay, God, is there something I need to adjust in the way that I'm doing life so that there is joy? Not, not temporary happiness. I mean, a depth of joy no matter what is going on around us. Practically speaking, the only way that I can think of for us to be with him, to order ourselves around that goal, is to actually position ourselves. So through, through the way that we engage in spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, to actually order our lives around slowing down, to actually position ourselves to be with Jesus. More often than not, that's about reduction, not addition. More often than not, it's about, it's about not cramming more into what you're trying to do in, in what we call a quiet time. It's, it's actually maybe, it's maybe pruning some stuff out so that we can actually prioritize like just being with Him yeah. and not measuring how productive it was, how much we have to show for it, but rather looking at it three months later, six months later. Is there anything to show from an increase in peace and joy and Love, Like, am I more secure in God? I think it is frightfully easy to be a Christian your entire life and never be experiencing more peace and love and joy than what you did 40 years before, 30 years before, 20 years before, 10 years before. That should concern us. As a pastor, that burdens me in the sense that I want more. I want more for people. I don't want people to be a Christian for 20 years and just be a one-year-old 20 times over. I want, I want that person to be, to, to be freer, to be lighter, to be more secure, more anchored, able to weather storms, able to weather tides. It's positioning ourselves to be with Jesus, to remain in his love and to actually experience his love. Again, we, this isn't an academic thing. This isn't the more I read, the more I'm gonna get it. No, no, it's actually the more I slow down and, and allow him to whisper, to, gent- to, to reassure, to experience that love. Pastor and author Tyler Staten says that nothing will be more formative or contested than God's love for you. Sure. Nothing will be more formative. Nothing's gonna form you more. And nothing's gonna be more tested. Nothing's gonna be more challenged. Nothing's gonna be attacked more than God's love for you. Ephesians 3.19, this is Paul the Apostle writing to the Christians in Ephesus, which is still, you can still find some of the ruins in parts of Turkey, says, may you experience the love of Christ. Not just may you know more, may you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully. There's stuff that we can understand, but you're not gonna understand it fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. We will be made complete. We will grow more whole, we will grow more healed as we position ourselves, order our lives, our pace, um, our, our habits, uh, health, how much sleep we get, who are we spending time with. There's so many things that we can do to order ourselves, to order our lives around actually experiencing the love of God. Yeah. That is the goal of being with Jesus being loved by Him, being secure in Him, experiencing His love, peace, perspective, and out of that, allowing that to form fruit in us so that we actually become like Jesus. God does want us to become like Jesus. Now this might scare some of you, and this might even sound legalistic, but it's not if you understand the heart behind this. He actually cares about behavior modification. Not behavior modification as the goal, behavior modification as the outcome, as the fruit. In other words, he cares how we live. He cares whether or not I'm someone of character. He cares whether or not I'm someone of love and joy and peace. He cares whether or not I am, I am growing in my control over my temper at home or over my tongue at work or school or, or growing in how I steward. The finances that he trusts me with or or how I steward the gift that he's given me. Do I use my gifts to to just advance myself or do I use it to serve people? Do I use power to to exploit others or to serve and empower others? He really does care about who we are becoming. He does care about our behavior. And we should too. Again, the why matters. That's not in order to be with Jesus or in order to be loved by him. No, no. It's when we realise how much he loves us. We we want to, we we allow ourselves to be shaped by that into people of love that then produce that fruit. Again, Tyler Staden put it this way the invitation is really, 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 really broad. But the way is really narrow. The invitation is really broad, but the invitation to the way, the way that we are being invited to, it is narrow. Mark 8, verse 34, this is Jesus speaking, says, then calling to the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, or the NIV would say, anyone, or whoever, wants to be, in other words, it is, it is open to anyone, young, old, Liberal, conservative, uh, educated, uneducated, male, female, it is open to everyone. But then what he's inviting us to actually begins to narrow. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it, but if you give up your life for my sake. and you know, I, I think that what Jesus is talking about, by the way, is giving up our false selves, yeah. giving up our false lives, our, our illusions of life. And if we will actually increasingly take up our real lives, the, allow God to reveal our true selves to us, we will find life. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it, but if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Again, Jesus is quoted in Matthew 7:13: Enter through the narrow gate, For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. It's a narrow path. We don't just get to do whatever we want. We don't get to give in to every fleshly desire, every temptation. Rather, when we fail, when we do those things, it's recognizing the invitation to come back, to come back quickly, to get back onto the narrow path. The invitation is broad, it's to anyone. But what he's inviting us to, and this is where we need to count the cost, is do I actually want to? Do I want what he's offering? Do I, do I believe it's worth it? Do I want that life? Do I, do I believe that, that his way, his narrow path will actually lead to hope, to healing, to peace? See, we, we call that the gospel, the good news. The reality is that, they, that there are many, many gospels. Everybody believes in a gospel. Just not necessarily the gospel. Yeah. So, so someone might think, you know, self-actualization, that's the gospel, that's going to bring me hope and peace. Someone might think that if I can just, if I can just prosper enough financially and, and have financial freedom, that'll that'll bring me hope and peace. And, and, and I've got enough insurance and I've got enough provision and I can and I can send my kids off for a good education. If if I can just have that, if I can if I can have enough power, or if I can have, if I can just have the perfect family, or if I can just have the perfect body, if I we all consciously or unconsciously have something that we think will lead to life. If I can just get those, things, those challenges in my marriage, if I can just get through school, if I can just, I can just get out of this house with my parents, <laughs> then it will all be better. We do all have a gospel. It's just that Jesus' gospel is a very broad invitation but to a very narrow path. Next month is the Cape Town Marathon. Forty-two kilometers. Is that right, Sue? How many of you believe I can go and do the Cape Town Marathon next month? Come on. Go for it, Jason. You guys are so sweet. Stop you guys are so sweet. Cindy, Carolina, Cindy, Steve, Steve, Sue. Next month. No. How long are you going to take? <laughs> oh. Uh, Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, let me, let me qualify. How many of you think I could jog slash run the Cape Town Marathon next month? Thank you. Irene, I think you're lying, but thank you. I'll take it. Those of you that are a little bit more familiar with my story this year, I have not been healthy. I've been struggling with my health since about April. I haven't even been able to exercise the last couple of months. Partly because my friends have dumped me with tennis and and that kind of stuff, but also, but also my own my my own health challenges. Um, But right now, I am not fit. I am not fit. I am horrible. I'm probably the 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 least fit I've been in a long, 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 long time. There is no way that I could jog the Cape Town Marathon in I think it's in three weeks' time, give or take. If I put my mind to it, and if I adjusted my life, if I ordered my life around this goal, how many of you believe I could run? The Cape Town Marathon, run, jog, run, but in other words, not crawl for 42 like, like, like run it, jog it, whatever. The Cape Town Marathon in October next year. Yeah. Yeah. Now here's the point. Me wanting to doesn't make it so. No. Me trying to run the Cape Town Marathon in October won't make it so. In fact, in fact, I think it'll do a lot of damage. That is exactly what we are so often tempted to do when it comes to character, when it comes to our finances, our temper, our, our levels of peace, our levels of anxiety. our level. Like, I'm just gonna try harder this week. I'm just gonna try harder this week. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and resist that temptation. I'm gonna try not to go out again this week, and I'm gonna try not to, not to drink as much when I'm, when I'm with those friends. And, and, we, can, and we wanna try. We, we wanna try to be a, you know a better person, a better friend, a better husband, wife, child, parent, whatever, a better employee, a better boss. We want to try, but if we don't change anything, nothing changes. Trying, just just trying in the sense of hoping, isn't going to change us. We're going to be in the exact same position a year from now. Chances are, many of us are in the exact same position in many key areas that we were 12 months from now, 12 months ago. That's that's not guilt and shame. That's to say it's because, it's not because we didn't want to. I I imagine that many of us want the same, we have the same aspirations year in and year out. It is whether or not I'm going to train myself. And I believe it is possible. Many, many thinkers, theologians, authors, spiritual formation experts are convinced, and I agree, just so you know, like this is a hill I'm willing to die on. I agree that we can change that we can become more like Jesus if we will train. Now training might be everything from looking, remember that there's no spiritual, that there's no word for spiritual in the Hebrew language. Okay, so we don't have a spiritual compartment. Everything is spiritual. Our bodies, our relationships, our finances, what we think, what we focus on. Everything is spiritual. It's not just did I, did I read a few verses of the Bible. So, so looking at various rhythms and not trying to do it all in one go, starting somewhere. If you've already been working on some things, maybe it's, maybe, it's, maybe it's getting rid of one more. I would suggest don't even add anything without subtracting something. Most of us have more than enough busyness in our minds. It's actually simplifying. So if I want to run the Cape Town Marathon next October, I'm gonna to have, to, to have to train physically, which means I'm gonna to need to get enough rest so that my immune system builds up because it's very low. I'm gonna to have to be extremely diligent with my diet because eating the wrong things is gonna affect my health and my ability to train. I'm gonna to have to probably get some, help. chances are I would help to have some coaching to maybe even have some people around. that has that a similar goal. I would have to order. The question is, do I want to? And am I willing to do what it takes? You see, we might want to be a more peaceful person, but we're not willing to Sabbath. We just want to keep we just want to keep busy twenty four seven, and then we wonder why we're still as anxious a year from now. Instead of taking the twenty four hour gift of rest from work, worry, and wanting. Or I might want the peace of God, but 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 it's so unattractive to try and spend some slow down time with Him when it doesn't when I don't see a return for it immediately. And if, if anything, I'm feeling less peaceful. I'm feeling more anxious over, I've just spent 15 minutes and I actually feel like that was a failure. Now, so, so it's, am I willing, just, just like if I were to try and go out for a jog right now, I would hate life. Yeah. But listen, no jokes. I was convinced because I had tried a few different, you see, because I had tried. I, I, remember, I remember as a man, even as a kid, As a teenager and then as a very young adult, I remember trying to run. I'm like, I am not made for running. I could swim, I could swim for days. I was not made for running. I think I was in my 30s, maybe my mid 30s, before someone in the church convinced me, Jason, short of a handicap, anyone can actually train to run. Now, now, In my case, it might mean that I have to lose weight before I even try, and and so so there are there are parameters, okay, but but I have flat feet, so I've got orthotics, I've got the right shoes, I started walking, I did not feel excited about walking, I did not get home after like a thirty-minute walk feeling like comrades here we come, so so it doesn't feel very fruitful, it doesn't. I didn't come back after a week of walking feeling like, oh yeah, I got this. I came back after a week of walking feeling exactly the same. Yeah. And then week two, you know, so, so those you know you take this 30-minute thing and you, and you have these six-minute blocks where the first week you're just walking for 30 minutes, and the next week you take the six-minute blocks and it's like walking for five, and then like a little Madiba shuffle for, for like one, and then walk for five, mediba shuffle for, for one, five, one, five. And then the next week, it's 4-2, four, 4-2. Two, four, two. And by the way, you're not doing it every day either because you'll do damage. You're doing it three times a week. My point being, if I just... Because this is what happened every other time in my life. I would, try, I would go out for a run, and I'd last about 60 seconds before I thought I was having a heart attack at 20. Or at 12. or at whatever. Because, I'd never, because I'd never been directed to Jason, start slow. Start where you are, not where you want to be. So don't get discouraged when you're trying to have a quiet time and for a week or two or three, you feel like... Nothing good's coming out of this. Don't be discouraged if... So let's put it this way. We have been, we have been trying to practice Sabbath for, I'd say, close to four years. I, I still don't think I've had a single... Maybe, maybe. I can't think of a single perfect Sabbath that we've had yet. That's 200 in four years. I call it sabish. I'm still trying to get to the Sabbath. But I'm not giving up on it because I know... Because there have been massive... There's, there's been a lot of progress, massive benefits, but, but I know, I know that I'm, I'm just scratching the surface. Yeah. So, persevere. There's some stuff I'm going to have to miss out on. Let's wrap up with the last part. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> <sighs> I love quotes. Spiritual disciplines, Richard Foster says, are simply a way of placing yourself where God can bless you. That's in terms of spiritual practices. Listen to this next statement. This one you might need to just marinate on for a while. Let me read this slowly. I'll read it again, and then we can move on. The Sermon on the Mount, this is by Oswald Chambers, is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting His way with us. You see, we can see the Sermon on the Mount as 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 a list of aspirations. But Oswald Chamber is saying actually that's going to be the fruit of a life that is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, do what Jesus did. We want to be with him. We should want to become like him. If you don't want to become like him, I would argue that there isn't anywhere near enough being. We cannot cannot be with Him. We cannot grow in that relationship and and not have that desire fanned into flame to become like Him. And then as we become like Him, we will want to do what Jesus did. And in the shortest summary, that is going to be motivated by the fact that we have become people of love. We're not just impressive. We're not just productive. We're not just able to perform. Doing what Jesus did if you want to measure, am I, am I doing what Jesus would do if he were me? We ought to ask ourselves the question Am I becoming a person of love? Let me add to that to the people who know me best and interact with me the most. Sure. Sure. That's good. Oh, Jason, could you just stop at becoming a person of love? Because that sounds nice, right? We can sing about that. The Beatles can sing about that. All you need is love. Do, 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 do. And then we hate people that disagree with us. Am I becoming a person of love to the people who know me best and interact with me the most? Final quote, Taylor Staten Staten says, it tends to be the great acts of world-crossing compassion that make for the most compelling stories. And yet the spiritual life is mostly ordinary, unnoticeable acts of compassion that cost me something win me no attention, and in the process, make me more alive than I ever knew possible. I am so often reminded that people that we know nothing about, or certainly that that crowds know nothing about, I think I'm gonna get some of the most applause in heaven one day, because they just consistently loved their kids, their neighbor's kids, they served in their community, they they, they tried to add value where they were at work or at school, they, they tried and tried again. They, they were present to their children. They, they tried to be gentle in their tone with their spouse. They tried to grow in relationships. They, they tried to give. Our goal should be to become a person of love, a gift of love, actually, for the sake of others. Christianity is not self-centered. That's why and a misunderstanding of the being with Jesus could make us think that it's just, I've just got to just feel warm and fuzzy with him, and like that's it. That's that's the pinnacle. No, no, that's 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 just a part of the whole adventure that we get to be a part of. It starts there, it doesn't end there. We become. We do. It's for the sake of others. Sacrificial love is inefficient. Just love. Forget sacrificial love is inefficient relationships are inefficient for the most part not always but for the most part for the majority of your life loving will make no obvious immediate impact there will be no big splash you will seldom see an immediate result and it can rarely be measured as far as a return on investment doesn't it sound a little bit like jesus When he got up from the table, took a basin of water and a towel and washed his disciples' feet, there was no immediate impact. There was no big splash. There was no immediate return on investment. When Jesus carried the cross and allowed himself, allowed himself, no one took his life from him. He gave it, allowed himself to be nailed to a cross and to lay his life down. In the short term, there was no immediate impact. No big splash. No immediate return on investment. In fact, he was deserted. It is the great big acts that often cross oceans and borders that get the attention. But it is the everyday, ordinary, present, patient, persevering, sacrificial, loving those that are near you. That one day, I think we will stand before God and He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what Jesus would have done if He was you. Imagine at the end of your life that your life gets weighed on a scale. Not a scale that measures finances, not a scale that measures how many followers or friends or fans. You have not a a scale that measures how much of the world knows who you are, or how much of the community, or your company, or no, but a, imagine if that scale is simply a scale of love. Imagine if that's the only measurement that matters. How would that affect how we live? I think it's important for us. If we wanna, if we wanna try and get a gauge of whether or not I am ordering my life around these three goals, am I growing and being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus would do? I think we need to look at how the fruit in our life measures on the scale of love because that is what measures most. That's what matters most, the scale of love. And so my invitation, and it is an invitation, We can't make you. And in some cases, this isn't even a salvation issue. Our invitation is to do the best that we can to live in response to that goal of becoming a person of love. And the way that we do that, the order really matters, is being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus would do.